We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Touched by Love on October 31st, Halloween 1980. What a weird <laughs> release. Strange choice. I guess it's counter-programming. It was written by Michael Viner, based on the novel To Elvis with Love by Lena Canada directed by Gus Traconis and released by Columbia. That's a much better name. Yeah. To why, Elvis with Love. Why didn't they call it that? Uh, it might have been a rights issue that you can't use Elvis's name in the title. I guess. Or they a crazy gave him little, a bunch of songs to use. Yeah, or a crazy little thing called, or a crazy thing or called Or Love Me Tender. Or there's, yeah. a, there's a bunch of titles that they could have used that I think were all, you know, probably bound by rights. Touched by Love just feels yep. creepy it yeah. does and, and and opening it starts that way too yeah and and also opening with these blood red titles yeah in in, <laughs> in this shining-esque drive through yeah. through uh through the mountains through the mountains i was like wait what is this movie the film was produced in conjunction with rastar who recently released it's my turn the film is based on a true story though the home for disabled children and the girl who writes to elvis lived in sweden not america Actress Deborah Raffin was nominated for both a Golden Globe and Razzie for her lead role. <laughs> Just shows you what a joke both awards are. Yeah. <laughs> John Barry based the theme on the tune Ora Lee, which is the song that Elvis based Love Me Tender on. As the blackbirds in the spring beneath the willow tree. Sat and piped, I heard him singing praise of Aurelie. 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 This film is dedicated to Lena for her gift of love and conviction, to Karen for her courage and determination, and to Elvis Presley for his compassion and ability to spread joy, and above all, and this is where it gets unfortunate, Yeah, this film is dedicated to all the Karens everywhere <laughs> who may need a friend to say, I care, a friend like you, oh, a manager. <laughs> a manager. That's who the Karens need. You added that. Yeah, I did. But this, this made me feel guilty. It's like, well, maybe all the Karens are just misunderstood and I'm a jerk for judging them uh, and, yeah. not, and not caring. They want to talk to the manager because they're trying to help a disabled child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all writing to elvis presley and he's not answering the letters yeah, I, I think i know why uh. <laughs> uh what year is this supposed to take place i was gonna ask that yeah i have no 1998. idea 1998 <laughs> no, why is it this letter coming back well because i thought for sure that lena was writing the letters oh yeah well i thought that too maybe we no. should save this for the end it takes place in the <laughs> 50s or 60s okay i couldn't t i wanted to know what part of elvis's career this took place in yeah i don't even what year did he die 56 is the year the movie takes place he, i think he died in the 70s okay at least he died in the 60s but part of the movie takes place in 56 
Do they actually say the year somewhere? Yes. Okay. He he died in seventy seven. See. The sixties. <laughs> he died the day Star Wars came out. What day? He died August sixteenth. What day did Star Wars come out? <laughs> I'm just guessing. Google it. May twenty fifth. Oh, so he saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to keep it a secret from Elvis. <laughs> He's still around. He's seen them all. That's true. He really likes Rogue One, I heard. <laughs> it's the only one. He's the only one that liked Rogue One? I liked Rogue One. No, it's the only one that he liked. Oh. <laughs> we start with a convertible driving through the mountains. We see a credit for Michael Learned, who is different than our previous film's Michael Lerner. Yeah. yeah. I got confused. Also a woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, she pulls up to a big house in the mountains and the narration begins. So is it Michael? Is her name Michael? It yeah. is Michael. Okay. I once met a girl. Karen was her name. We were drawn to each other. And to Elvis. Life will never be the same. And that's the beginning of like, mm-hmm. okay, I hope this is just a friendship. Uh, also, we were drawn to each other. I don't feel is accurate. No. No. Um, you forced yourself upon her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a man comes out to help her with her bags. This is Don Fielder. He's one of the doctors here. And she is quickly introduced to some of her coworkers and then led up to meet her roommate, Amy. Don brings her back downstairs to watch the kids as they play a game of hot potato. When it's over, the kids are filing into the house, except for a girl in a chair named Karen. And when Lena asks about her, the other doctor reminds Tony to bring Karen inside. The doctor schools Lena on the importance of communication here. They need to keep these kids talking whatever way they can. One seemed especially quiet until they found him a typewriter and it's worked wonders for him. And they also need to be speaking to the children. And Lena quickly agrees to this process. She is here working as a nurse's aide. They sit down in the cafeteria to eat and the doctor introduces her to a large group of the kids. One of them, Louie, sits in a wheelchair and does not communicate, almost at all, but his best friend Topper communicates enough for the both of them. Topper looks really familiar, but I couldn't find any other credits. No. But I was just like, that face looks so familiar. Most of these kids, if not all of them, seem like they are real uh, handicapped people. Yeah. Lena seems transfixed on Karen, the girl who couldn't move or speak outside, and now sits across the cafeteria from her just staring. We see her helping children at typewriters later, and still she's just watching Karen from afar, and it's already a little bit creepy, just the tiniest Mm -hmm. bit creepy. Mm -hmm. Later, Lena and Dr. Bell sit watching the river, and Bell asks how she likes the job so far. Lena says she loves it because it's good to be needed. Later, the kids are enjoying playtime with some of the aides when candy is being handed out. Just as Lena pops her candy into her mouth, she notices Karen again across the room, unable to accept the candy. Later that night, Lena and Amy are in the room, and Lena asks how long Karen's been here. Amy says she's been here longer than her, but that she's basically a part of the furniture, like Louie. Amy likes to turn off the job part of her brain when she's off the clock, and asks Lena not to talk about the kids up here in the room. She asks what Lena's doing here, and Lena says, same as you, I guess. Well, you guessed wrong, because I made a mistake. I figured I'd catch a doctor. We see Amy and Lena coming back up to their room from downstairs with food when they notice one of the rooms has a buzzing light. Lena offers to take care of it. 
She heads to Monica's room and finds her tangled in some kind of cord. Like all these kids sleep with like emergency yeah. buzzer support think, type thing. Yeah, I think it's just a, an alarm to indicate that they need help. But yeah. I don't think she was intentionally pushing it. She just yeah, I think t- she just got tangled, tied up. Yeah, yeah, in her sleep. Around the corner, she can hear Karen moaning in her sleep, and she moves to check on her. It sounds like she's crying into a pillow. <laughs> Lena calls to Karen and she stops crying. The next day, Dr. Bell says Karen's been here for two years. Lena tells Dr. Bell that she's noticed Karen concentrating when she thinks no one's looking. Dr. Bell insists that Karen is a helpless case. Lena really wants to work with Karen and offers to do it on her own time after Dr. Bell insists that her time would be better spent on the other children. Dr. Bell warns her not to get too attached, but agrees that she can work with Karen off the clock. The next day, she rolls Karen's wheelchair out to the lake and into the water. Just kidding. But but she's really rough. Yeah. She's really rough with, with Karen in this wheelchair to the point where when she goes gets ready to, to pull the wheelchair, Karen grabs hold of it. And I don't know if that's just... Di- <laughs> A mess up. I don't know if that's just the actress like going, oh, God, she's going to be yanking me around again. Or if <laughs> it's supposed to be like, like uh, Karen's actual character going... This woman's I'm testing cr- you. I'm this woman's crazy. <laughs> because she I thought she was totally losing her mind when they go out to the stump and she goes, yeah. We're gonna build a castle. I'm gonna yeah. be, I'm gonna leave for the bedrooms. I was like, yeah. she's lost it. Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> They're never gonna find their way back to this house. Uh yeah, they stop at a tree stump and Lena makes believe she'll turn the stump into a castle and starts collecting little pieces from nature to use as props. As she builds the castle Karen at least looks at her, but never says anything here. Before they leave, Lena seems to get the impression that Karen likes this place. You like it here, don't you? We cut to a group sing-along of Old MacDonald. Lena and Karen are seated in the back together. We see them hanging out near the tree stump castle again, and Lena tells Karen about Straw Town just over the hill with a beautiful river. She intends to bring Karen there someday with Dr. Bell's permission. She tells Karen they have a record store and magazine shops and a movie theater. She says she went there with Amy and Tony once to see a Peter Sellers film. Are we going to assume that this is... 1956 is the year this movie is okay. supposed to take place. By 1956, the year this movie takes place, Sellers had only appeared in four or five films. I doubt any of them would have been referred to as a Peter Sellers film since he was not front and center in the bigger titles. But I would guess that it's Lady Killers would be the movie that she's talking about based on the time period. We cut to the cafeteria later where Don is feeding a child who spits in his face. He rolls the kid's chair away from him, frustrated. You come back when you find some manners. Don tells Lena that sometimes he wishes he was working in a laboratory with mice. And she says, I get what you're talking about. And then the kid rolls back in and tells Don, I can't find any manners. You can't find any manners? and don just starts laughing at the kid and gives him a big kiss at night we see lena talking to karen she's telling her a bedtime story but another girl turns off her light in frustration unable to read her book over lena's talking late one night lena is called into dr bell's office where she's informed that the children have been complaining about her and karen jason thinks it's his fault that you don't love him anymore (sighs) and someone else is mad at you because you forgot about their book report or something yeah 
Dr. Bell informs her that she's making arrangements to transfer Karen to a hospital to make room for a child who might benefit from the treatment here. It's essentially the same argument we heard earlier this year in The Elephant Man, that her condition is incurable and that we should make room for curables. Mm -hmm. I don't get that, though, because, like, so the other kid... um, Louis. Is it Louis, the one that Topper is, like, uh, good friends with, doesn't look at people, doesn't say a word, doesn't do anything. And so he's just as incurable, it seems, as Karen is, but nobody's complaining about him. Right. But I think the reason that she's sending her away is only half because she's incurable and also because she's she is too attractive to this new nurse that they got. <laughs> and You're distracting the at, nurses. At the point where the kids can't stand this nurse anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, we also don't know fully, I guess, Louis' situation. I mean, his parents could be funding him to be there where right she where she is just got dropped these off kids are doing that but well, no, not but karen not karen she's karen a... doesn't have parents oh her her daughter or her mom had her very young and left her with the house oh okay i thought i, I thought that her parents just didn't visit because she says she's i know later she says that they don't come and see her yeah. i thought that that meant they were still in the picture no somewhere. no as, as soon as the mother found out that she was that she was had palsy she's just i don't want anything to do with this kid yeah the conversation is heated and lena puts up quite a fight to keep karen here and under her care probably because she feels partly responsible for karen's removal to the program which makes sense because it's basically her fault Mm. (laughs) dr bell tells her that the transfer will take place in about a week so you have seven days to conduct a miracle we cut to lena in the rec room punching a stress relieving balloon installed for the children to hit tony enters and says hey lena don't kill him you need him. He's our last volunteer. <laughs> uh, sobbing, she tries to explain to Tony why it's so important to her that she reach Karen, but Karen won't let her in. She blatantly disregards the other children here in her efforts for this breakthrough. Tony informs her that Dr. Bell started this place, which incidentally is called Brown House. We haven't said that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, for selfish reasons. He says that she had a son like Louie who could not communicate with people and ended up dying in a state institution because Brown House and places like it didn't exist yet. Tony suggests she take a day off and tells her that he'll work it out with Queen Bee, a.k.a. Dr. Bell. We see her driving along a river. She pulls over at a park bench to eat an apple when a deer walks up and Mm -hmm. she feeds the apple to the deer. Uh, Always trying to help people, this lady. The next day, the kids are having a relay race in their wheelchairs when Lena gets back to work. She and Karen watch the kids slalom their chairs through the posts for a while, and then Lena just breaks down. She gets down on her knees in front of Karen in the chair and starts crying, pleading with her to talk, and Karen manages a word. Lena cries overjoyed in her lap, and Karen smiles to see Lena happy. Now she's going to spend even more time with Karen. (laughs) But they can't kick her out now. Great. Dr. Bell's like, God damn it. She's cured. Dr. Bell comes over and puts a hand on Lena's shoulder. We cut to a physical therapy session with the kids, and Karen is making incredible progress. Back under the tree at their castle stump, they joke around with each other about the squirrels eating their decorative seeds. And Lena, and Lena challenges her to a fight? Yeah. Do you want to fight me? Puncher. Come on, let's fight. It's like, what? How is this even a game? You just got to treat them like they're kids that have no no problems. 
and then suddenly they'll be cured magically. With some effort, Karen manages to ask Lena, meaning for her to continue the story she was reading at bedtime about mice, Lena launches into a seemingly improvised story about mice, and Karen is just laughing hysterically at it. We cut to Karen at Brown House, where another of the instructors has her blow out a candle and recite tongue twisters. She has trouble with Fuzzy Wuzzy until the instructor suggests that she think about something that makes her happy. Fuzzy! Wuzzy! No, no, no. You're forgetting to relax. Breathe! Now forget about the words. Think about something you like. And she says she's thinking of music and is able to say the phrase. Fuzzy Wuzzy wasn't Fuzzy Wuzzy. Wow, I just did that. It's taken me 37 years to say that phrase. All you had to do was think about... uh, Music. Well, I was thinking... uh, You were thinking about a girl with cerebral palsy. But, you know, whatever. To each their own. (laughs) That's music to my ears. What? (laughs) What? Fuzzy. Wuzzy. We cut back to the rec room where all the kids are dancing to Elvis Presley music on the stereo. They swap out Karen's chair for a motorized one, and immediately she's able to pilot it with ease. We have a visiting day from the parents of the children, and they're all unwrapping gifts in the yard. Karen watches from her chair on the porch without a gift, because she has no parents. Later, Lena invites her on a walk, and Karen doesn't want to go on a walk. Uh, Lena gives her a gift, and as soon as she unwraps it, she says, I hate it. It's ugly, and throws it on the floor. She says it's ugly like her, and when Lena tries to calm her down, she says, You're not my mom. I hate my mom. She doesn't come to visit. She goes on a long rant about how her mom doesn't do the things that she's responsible for, which is as depressing as it is impressive because she's managing these full sentences with relatively little stopping and stuttering. She's, like, got a whole paragraph of anger for her mom where before she was struggling to say three words. So she's, the anger is helping her uh, make progress. Lena gets permission from Dr. Bell to take Karen to Strawtown with Tony. They pop into a record shop when she notices Elvis's face in the window. She asks Lena to buy her gum, even though she hates gum, because it has Elvis on it. Then she asks for a magazine with Elvis on it. Lena isn't putting any of this together. (laughs) Suddenly, Love Me Tender is playing, and Karen is completely hypnotized by the song. Finally, Lena and Tony realize that she's obsessed with Elvis. And that night, Karen is flipping through all the trading cards that came with her Elvis gum. She saved the gum to trade to Monica for magazines, presumably also with Elvis on them. We're about halfway through the movie at this point, and we haven't started the premise of the logline. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I actually clocked it. We get an hour and one minute in before she writes a letter to Elvis. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Don wrestles another kid to bed when he notices Lena watching him and starts to ask her something and then changes his mind. You sure? Yeah, nothing. Never mind. Later on a walk, Amy tells Lena that Don's got a big crush on her. On their way back to Brown House, Amy gets real dark. She tells Lena that she's spending all of her time with Karen when what she should do is have a kid of her own because Karen's going to die soon. And Lena is obviously super upset about this uh but by the time we saw the stump castle i was sure that it was going to be a symbolic tombstone at the end of the film oh that would have been good uh but like how would you i mean 
any any kid could die. She could have a kid yeah. right now, and that kid could die what sooner if my kid than dies? Karen. You it know? could die before like, it was born. <laughs> I'm just saying, like that, that's just a dumb thing to say. Yeah. Well, I think it's just because the life expectancy. Yeah, of these but, kids no, is really but low. any of these kids could die that, any day. But any of them could die or not die. It's just like that doesn't mean we should stop investing our our, our time and no, energy and love into them. Like I, I just like it just seems like a really weird thing for anybody who works at a place like this to say. Yeah. Lena gets inside to check on Karen, and she's sobbing in her bed. Lena asks what what's wrong, but can't get an answer out of her. And she looks down the bed at all the Elvis cards stacked on her blankets. Uh, I think she's asleep again, and she's mm-hmm. just crying in her sleep. Yeah. Lena drives back to the record store and buys the album with Love Me Tender to play for Karen. Karen is very excited to unwrap the present. She says it's the first present she's ever gotten. I guess she's not counting the one Lena gave her earlier that she threw on the floor. <laughs> I wonder how many she's thrown on the floor yeah. until she considered her first present. Uh, also, from the moment Lena bought that record to the point where where it's been opened this record has been so poorly handled yeah like she's lena's being like, very rough with it when she's unwrapping it she's well, like bending it completely yeah and, and lena's like walking with it like like swinging her arms super far up in the air is like <laughs> what are you doing and yeah and then when when she's opening it she's like it's all warped it's like yeah. that record is just yeah i can't believe she didn't just break it in half once she gets it totally open, though, it looks like she's going to consider her next present her first present <laughs> because she's just as disappointed with this record. Lena apologizes profusely, insisting she was only trying to cheer Karen up. She tells her that she loves her and that she wants her to be happy. Karen asks if she meant what she said when she said she loves her, and she says, of course. She's sad because she loves Elvis, but she knows that she'll never be able to move the way he does. They head back to the castle stump, and Karen suggests transforming it into Graceland. Topper's parents are here to pick him up, and he asks if they'll adopt Louie so they don't have to be separated. Dr. Bell reminds Topper that Louie requires lots of help. So do I, <laughs> I feel like would have been yeah. his response. Like, oh, you don't think my parents can handle it? Uh, Karen sees the whole exchange happen and rushes to Lena crying. She thinks, after seeing Topper having to leave Louie, that that means eventually Lena will have to leave her. But Lena insists this will never happen, and they hug. Karen and Lena lay on the floor in the rec room and listen to Elvis playing a board game. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, they just listen to him play a board game. Listen to Elvis while playing a board game. Is that better? <laughs> Knight, Knights to Kings Bishop 2. <laughs> Knights to Kings Bishop 2. Uh, Don rolls Louie in and asks if he can listen with them. They say, sure. Karen wonders out loud what Elvis is doing right this moment, and Lena suggests they write him a letter. Lena helps Karen practice her letters so she can write the letter herself by hand. Monica, another girl in the program, sits down next to Karen, pretending to be a doctor, and offers Karen her daily pretty pill, which she takes. It's probably just candy. I don't know what she's giving these kids. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in these containers, or is she just pretending to hand them something? Well, that's why I got upset when she said she didn't take her pill today. I was like, well, wait, are these real wait, pills? Pill? Are we drugging them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, no, but I thought maybe, maybe it turns it out like... she doesn't have cerebral palsy. This girl oh, has been God. poisoning her for years. Oh, no. I, well, I mean, I, I just thought it was actual. <laughs> Don't forget like... your pretty pill. <laughs> you guys are being much darker. It makes your arms <laughs> nice and curly. They mail out her letter and Karen expects it to take three days to a week to arrive. And hopefully he will respond. Lena doesn't want her to get too excited about her response, but Karen is certain it's coming. Lena moves to ask the doctors if there's any medical reason that she couldn't take Karen to the theater soon, since she's never seen a movie. 
They say there's no issue and commend her on the progress she's made with Karen. She senses a butt from them and assures them that she understands Karen's diagnosis. They head to Straw Town at the Lux Theater for a new Elvis movie, Love Me Tender. This is where I got the year for the movie. Mm. Love Me Tender came out in 1956. That night, Karen wants to write Elvis a letter telling him that she saw the movie because it's been too long since she wrote the last one. Lena reminds her not to stay up too late writing this letter, and Karen asks Lena to apologize to Monica. Tell her I have a pen pal, and it's a secret. She likes secrets. Monica is bummed that Karen is keeping a secret from her and asks Lena to remind Karen to take her pretty pill for today. Karen and Lena watch the mailbox during a rainstorm the next day. Karen is very upset that she hasn't been written back. She supposes someone intercepted her letter amongst either his employees or someone at the post office, I guess. Right. Tony brings in the mail, and Lena sorts through it, but there's nothing here for Karen. In the absence of a response, Karen begins to shut down again. She writes more letters, hoping something will get through to Elvis, and Tony brings in the mail again, and again, there's nothing for Karen. In bed, she doesn't want to talk to Lena. She doesn't want to hear stories. She just wants to sleep. Lena walks away from Karen to the Elvis record, propped up in the corner, and she prays to God that Elvis will answer. Lena vents to Amy about how stupid this whole idea was. Seems like an easy fix would be to forge a response. Right. But she doesn't seem willing to do that. Well, nobody even brings it up, which I yeah. thought it was less like, I would have thought of that immediately. Yeah. I would right. have been like, okay, Elvis is now writing you. It's like, I guess we'll just let her die. I don't want to lie to her. Yeah, especially with the first letter being, sorry for my handwriting is weird. Yeah. Yeah. But also, uh, Amy says, like, well, you made a mistake, like, letting her write these letters. Yes. Which, you ruined a kid's life. Oh, you only gave her, like, hope and optimism and, and excitement in her life and something to, to strive for. You made a mistake, but we all do. Yeah. <laughs> we all accidentally encourage hopeless people sometimes. <laughs> the next day, Lena tells Karen that it's snowing outside, but she doesn't care. Suddenly, Dr. Bell enters with a letter for Karen, taking all the wind out of Lena's sails. Yeah. <laughs> Poor well, Lena. Took all the wind out of Karen, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she can't breathe. Uh, <laughs> but, Karen but, is so excited, she's immediately hyperventilating. But but shouldn't this letter have been, like, shouldn't there have been in a scene, like, where Lena, there's, oh, there's a letter for Karen, and Lena gets super excited and brings it to Lena. Like, it's not, it's just such a casual thing. Hey, Karen, you got a letter. Like it's like. Well, I don't think that Dr. Bell thing, knew yeah. Dr. about Bell any of know this. Oh, that it's okay. Elvis. Otherwise, she probably would have been angry at Lena. Yeah, that's exactly what my next note says. Karen is so excited, she's immediately hyperventilating. Lena is slow to get an oxygen tank to help Karen because she's just shocked that a letter came through. I guess that her prayer was answered. Uh, Karen recovers and opens the letter. Karen tells Dr. Bell it's a letter from a friend. And this is where I realize Dr. Bell has been kept completely out of the loop on this whole Elvis pen pal thing because she probably would never have let them yeah. do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Karen reads the letter. Dear Karen, forgive my handwriting. It's a mess. I always seem to be in a hurry forgive me too for not writing sooner <laughs> there's so much mail that i don't always get a chance to read it all i'm really sorry will you give me a chance to make it up to you i really want to be your friend i want to hear all about you what do you look like what do you like to do what do you like to play 
I'm glad you like my music. I'm sending you a special address so your letters will come straight to me. Write back soon, your friend Elvis. She writes a letter back and has basically immediately recovered from all the regression as of late. She tells him about her cerebral palsy, her motorized chair, that she doesn't think she's pretty, and we cut right to another letter coming back. Elvis sends her a card with a dress and pictures. Karen sends another letter back. She tucks it in the mailbox herself. She has Tony take pictures of her next to a snowman to send to Elvis. Elvis writes back to tell her she's very pretty in the picture. Monica checks in with Karen one night while she's responding to her friend. Monica asks if Elvis has a friend that she could write to, and she says, oh, I'll ask, because Monica doesn't know that it's Elvis Presley either. Right. So she's just like, oh, does your pen pal have a friend I could write to? She's like, oh, I guess I, guess I could ask him. She also asks what Karen wants for Christmas. When Karen can't answer, Monica says she'll think of something, but we never pay this off, do we? No. The next day, she reads another letter from Elvis. He tells her that he has a good friend who's a little pink teddy bear, and the teddy bear is also named Karen. He tells her that sometimes she gets lost, so if you ever find her, take good care of her. Karen writes a letter back and says, I looked everywhere, but I can't find your friend Karen, and I think maybe you made him up, but I like that you make things up like I do. Uh, She also passes along Monica's request for a friend to write to. We flash forward a bit to Christmas, and Karen is unwrapping a large present that just arrived. It's Karen the teddy bear, with a card attached from Elvis, and she hugs it very tight. I assume these are form letters that he sent out to all the fans? And then made kind of an adventure out of sending out the teddy bear to everybody. Uh, I, I I don't know how true this book is, yeah. or or the contents of the book. I don't know if this ha- it says it's a true story. Yeah, but-, but none of the letters seem so personalized that it couldn't have just been like a. This is the first thing I send out. What do you like? I'm glad you mm-hmm. like my music. Thanks so much. I want to be your friend. Here's my next address. And like that's the first letter that goes back to fans. And then the second letter that goes out is like, if if it came with a picture, then they get the, I liked your picture. Mm-hmm. Here's more stuff. And then he sends out the one that says, oh, I have a friend that's a pink teddy bear. And he has a room with a thousand teddy bears that just get mailed out to anyone who write a letter back to You're that. You're such a cynic. Well, I'm just <laughs> assuming that's how, like, he could not possibly have sifted through a million letters no, to find this one not from necessarily this girl. but if it happened to come to the top of the pile and he felt you know mm-hmm. touched by love he might have oh, <laughs> now i get it <laughs> lena tucks karen in at night and they share i love yous lena is restless in the middle of the night and wakes up to check on karen when she goes to move karen's arms under the blankets she realizes they're cold and karen is unresponsive lena hugs karen tight and cries rocking in place She sees a letter that Karen had started writing to Elvis but will never finish. A title comes up that reads, This film is dedicated to the Karens. (laughs) We never get that shot of the tree stump as a tombstone that I was expecting. And that's where we end the film. Touched by love, ladies and gentlemen. This was directed by Gus Traconis, Greek name. Uh, It may not have been a theatrical release you suggested. Yeah, look, I was watching it and it felt awful tv movie to me you know i realized that we were actually watching a tv cut yeah that um so it had you know breaks in it like a tv cut does you know fades up fades up from commercial yeah but that aside it still felt very much like a tv movie and the budget was like 2.1 million and it made eleven thousand dollars well the fact that yeah the fact that the box office on wikipedia said that it was made eleven thousand dollars i'm like maybe this came out in one or two theaters to qualify for award seasons but i don't know that this was a wide release but then 
we have uh, Deborah Raffin gets the nomination as lead actress in a major motion picture, which is very weird if it didn't come out at all. I don't know. But it seems from the uh, uh, box office take of $11,000 that it didn't come out or that it was it was oh, a crowded a- Halloween. Wow. I don't know. It might just be an inaccurate box office number. Yeah, maybe. Um, but our director was Gus Traconis. In 1975, he directed a film called Supercock, which is about cockfighting. Oh. Uh, he <laughs> he also directs Take This Job and Shove It next year. Later, he moved into television directing uh, a bunch of Beauty and the Beast episodes, Baywatch and Baywatch Nights, uh, the Kevin Sorbo Hercules. Yeah. Uh, he also played Indio in West Side Story. Uh, the novelist, Lena Canada, uh, just this. I'm assuming the novel was written by the doctor who cared for the girl since they're both named Lena. Uh, writer Hesper Anderson, who adapted the script from the novel, also wrote Children of a Lesser God in 1986. The music here was from John Barry. He's He composed Raise the Titanic and Somewhere in Time so far this year. He'll be back for Inside Moves. He's also composed the themes for Dances with Wolves, Out of Africa, The Living Daylights. Deborah Raffin was Lena Canada. She played Goldie Hawn's character, Gloria Monday, in the Foul Play TV series. She's Samantha Owens in Grizzly 2 and Catherine Davis in Death Wish 3 with uh, the star of our last film. She's Julie Vale, daughter of Cameron Vale, in Scanners 2. Diane Lane was Karen. She's Francis in Under the Sun. She is the mom in Inside Out. She's Martha Kent in the current DC Universe. She's Judge Hershey in Judge Dredd. And this was only her second film. She'll be back next year as Little Britches for Cattle Annie and Little Britches with Amanda Plummer. Michael Learned played Dr. Bell. She appeared in 168 episodes of The Waltons as Olivia Walton, mother of John Boy, who we had in Battle Beyond the Stars, and mentioned by name in Best Picture winner Ordinary People earlier this year. She also played the Ghost of Paradise Valley in an episode of The Secret World of Alex Mack. Yeah. She was Daniel Atron's uh, phantom mother. Oh, was she? Yeah. Okay. I need to rewatch that whole show. Tomaplex. (laughs) John Amos played Tony. He's Cleo McDowell in Coming to America, and he will soon be reprising the role of Cleo McDowell for Coming to America. Emphasis on the number two in the middle. (laughs) Uh, He's also Grant in Die Hard 2, but I always think of Percy Fitzwallis, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on the West Wing, and then he played himself on 30 Rock a couple times. Yeah. Or maybe just once. I forget. Uh, Mary Wicks played Margaret. I recognized her immediately. Oh, this is the movie that we need to watch, I take it. Well, yeah, because you still haven't watched sister act yes she's sister lazarus and sister act. <laughs> yeah. but the thing is that i was already thinking of sister act before i watched this movie because every time we mentioned the title touched by love i was thinking of the montage scene in sister act where they play the song just a touch of love just a touch of love so she's in two movies with love touches yes mm-hmm. <laughs> and they never uh, made sister act three holy trinity no it's a bummer was that like on the books at one point? No, but that apart? was my title for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's Emma Allen in White Christmas. She's the voice of Laverne in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Clue Gulliger was Don Fielder. Clue. Yeah, he's Clue. <laughs> he's the guy that, that drew my name out of a hat so that I won a midnight movie that I never used. Um, he played Abilene in The Last Picture Show. He's Bert in Return of the Living Dead. 
He's Mr. Walsh in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And he's Walt Kirby in MacGyver episode Thin Ice. That's right. Oh, because that was the dad. Yes. Of the... Or, no, he wasn't the father. He was the guy that was coming to watch the game. He was the scout. Oh, he was the scout? Yeah. I thought he was the dad of of the kid. Well, maybe I have it backwards. Maybe he was the dad. Where the kid, like, murdered him. It's like, yeah, don't worry about my dad. I took care of him. So I, I didn't know if you mentioned uh, Deborah Raffin's uh, stint on Seventh Heaven. No, I didn't. Because she's Aunt Julie. She's Aunt Julie on Seventh Heaven. Yes. With... So it's Eric's. So it's Eric's sister. So that's. I don't know anyone on that show. Okay, Stephen Collins' sister on the show. Okay. Yeah. So her brother from that show was, was in, in uh, yeah. Loving Couples Loving a couple couples. movies back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the dad, but. There are two characters with the last name Kirby. There's Derek Kirby and Walt Kirby. Oh, yeah. So I think he was Derek the dad. Kirby is the kid, so yeah. Walt Kirby is the dad. Then, yeah, he's the father of of a violent hockey player who MacGyver teaches to play nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a down. Yeah. <laughs> this movie takes a really long time to get to the point, and then the point is very unsatisfying. And I think it tries to earn a lot of points at the end with the death of the character. And by then, it's been telegraphed so much. Like, yeah. it's not like it's a surprise yeah. or anything. It's, I mean, it, this is on par with, like, a Hallmark Channel movie. It really and, is. And even then, not a very good one. Yeah. I I don't know how it got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress. For Best Actress. Best Lead Actress <laughs> for this woman in 1980. <laughs> yeah i don't know but it seems weird that this was in any kind of awards contention i don't i don't think she deserved the razzie either no i think that doesn't make sense but this there was nothing standout about this performance in either direction yeah uh yeah it's a down for me for sure yeah down it's down um where's it going letterboxd i have it pretty low i have it 116 it is below first deadly sin but above effects I also have it below First Deadly Sin, <laughs> uh, but but that's at uh, my 102 mark for Touched by Love. I have it at 117. It's just under Foolin' Around, and it's just above Oh God, Book Two, because there were even less stakes in that movie. <laughs> I think that's about everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Witch's Brew which IMDb describes like so. Three women use witchcraft to further the careers of their respective professor husbands. When a higher position becomes available at the university, they turn on each other and no one is safe. We leave you now with the trailer for Witch's Brew. Is that you? Yes, me, open up. Coming. Coming, Linda. Just a second. Hi, hi. Did you get everything? Yeah, I stopped by the and I picked up the thing. I don't mind telling you, Susan, though, that was the most disgusting shopping. Hi, <laughs> Monica. Hi. Lamb's blood. Cat urine? Did you get the bat guano? Well, how could I forget that after spending three hours in a damp cave? <laughs>
part of the bed is the guano, anyway? Margaret, be serious. Well, how am I supposed to know? What is it? It's uh... Never mind. Now, did you both find out the dates and the exact times of your husband's birthdays? Yes, I found out from Josh's mother. Mm -hmm. Charlie was born June 3rd, 1938, at exactly 7.45 a.m. Why do you want to know? Because I'm going to cast charts on each of our husbands. You know how Vivian always stressed that there was an orderly rhythm to the way the stars controlled each one of us? Do you think any of this stuff really works? Well, it's worked fine for Susan and Nick, hasn't it? Come on, Linda, not again. You know, when I started witchcraft, Nick was just an assistant professor. Now he's a dean. And nothing's happened to Charlie's career. Well, maybe you're not taking it seriously enough. Oh. I mean, look what it's done with Josh and Margaret. Yeah, only Josh thinks he's done it all himself. He's just humoring me. Well, tonight we're going to make a believer of him. Vivian says that that spell never fails. And I think that just about wraps up the psychology chair. Mm -hmm. Boy, I sure am glad my mother can't see me now. You know, she never even let me have a pet. Oh. <laughs>